when you think about the word first, it means exactly that. It means, number one, it's supposed to be the first thing that we think about. And so as we begin the new year, I thought it would be appropriate. And I, as I start, have you ever wondered or asked yourself this question? Because we're going to be talking about David a little bit. But have you ever wondered why God would say, think about it, why would God say that David was a man after his own heart? Have you ever thought about that and say, well, why, you know, there were a lot of guys in Scripture, there were a lot of ladies in Scripture who loved God, who served God. Why is it that God would give David this this identifier as being a man who was after his own heart? And so I started thinking about this this week, and, um, but the reality is I want us to look at the incredible details surrounding the very first thing that David did after he is anointed king, after he becomes king, We're going to look at the very first thing that David wanted to do. And as I was preparing, I was reminded of uh, the movie, the the, uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. How many have heard of that movie before? You probably, some of the, oh cool, some of the young people have actually heard of that movie. You're probably thinking of Indiana Jones, the, the newer versions, but... The original movie on Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, although much of that movie was fictional, the plot, if you don't remember, the plot of that movie was for Harrison Ford, a.k.a. Indiana Jones, the archaeologist. The plot was for him, uh, along with many others, to find and to get the Ark of God, i.e. the Lost Covenant, and, and find it. And so... Here was the belief. The belief was that whoever possessed the ark, whoever uh, possessed it, whoever got the ark first would possess its power. And thus by obtaining the ark and the power, they would have God's power. And so it was all out assault to go and find the ark of the covenant. And so the reality though is through the movie you realize that the other archaeologists are not like Indiana Jones. They have no respect for God's ark. And, uh, you know, there's, there's groups from all over that are vying to find this valuable uh, ark. Near the end of the movie, if you remember, Indiana Jones and Mary are tied up. It's cohort Mary. They're tied up at the stake. And uh, the Germans, they go to open up the, the ark. And when they open up the ark, immediately they see all they see is sand, or so they think. But Indiana Jones understands this. He understands that the ark of God was important and he also understood that there was a way in which you were to handle God's presence. So Indiana Jones screams out in the movie. I watched it just the other day. He screamed out, I have to do educational research, folks. (laughs) I will have you know I did not watch the whole movie. I only watched the clip. He screams out, Mary, close your eyes, don't look at it. Because he understands that you're not to touch the ark and you're not to open it up. And so the rest of the story is these guys open it and they say, ah, just sand, whatever. And then all sorts of things start happening. And I, I was going to show the clip, but it was a little bit graphic. Faces start melting off. People are obliterated and incinerated on the screen because they are not treating God's presence the way that it is supposed to be treated. Our story is a little bit like that this morning as we begin with the series first. 
In 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're going to read how David is going after the Ark of the Covenant. But before we get there, it's important to understand what has happened to the Ark of God. What is going on with the Ark? Well, you'd have to go all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 4 to understand some of the stuff that's going on. And I would encourage you, after you leave this place today, to read 1 Samuel chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And it'll give you a better idea. I'm going to give you a synopsis, but to get the whole picture, go back and read it for yourself. It's an incredible story of what's going on with the Ark of the Covenant. In the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 4, um, some of you may remember Israel loses a battle. They're always at battle with the Philistines. They're always at war. Same things going on today. They're always at war, right? And so they lose a battle. But the children of Israel, here's what they say in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel. They say, okay, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it down here so that God will save us from the Philistines. And so you see what they're doing. They say, let's go get God's ark, the symbol of his presence, and bring it down here where we're doing battle, and God will take care of us. He'll save us from these, from these Philistines. And so uh, they were actually treating God's ark like a good luck charm. I'm afraid we do that, don't we? Sometimes we do that unknowingly, unwittingly, and maybe sometimes we do it knowingly. We're like, well, I'm a believer, and God's got this, and, and instead of walking by faith, we're actually treating God more like an amulet or a good luck charm rather than worshiping him. So anyway, they bring the Ark of the Covenant down in chapter 4, and uh, the Philistines see this, and they're, they're, they're scared to death, they're afraid, but in Verse number 9, they actually say, well, guess what? Let's just stand up and fight. And you know what happens? They win. The Philistines win because God has no respect for the children of Israel treating his ark as a good luck charm. And notice in verse number 10, the Bible says that Israel was smitten and they fled. But here, folks, let me just tell you, that's not the rest of the verse because the verse goes on and says that they fled, but not before 30,000 people die. So we move on. As soon as they flee, word gets back to Eli the priest. He's the, the, the supreme magistrate of the land. Now, when Israel had brought the Ark of the Covenant down, uh, his two boys, Hophni and Phinehas, were with the Ark. So a messenger comes back to Eli, and the messenger says, Hey, Eli, um, uh, your two boys are dead, and by the way, the ark has been taken by the Philistines. So the Philistines capture the ark. They say, Guess what? We'll take your ark. And uh, they bring word back to the priest. The word that gets to Eli causes him so much uh, angst that you know the story. He falls back in his chair, and he breaks his neck, and he dies. So now the two boys are dead, who with the ark. The priest, Eli, is dead. And then guess what? The story goes on in chapter 4. His daughter-in-law, who is Phineas's wife, is about to be uh, delivered. She's delivering a baby boy. And as she's dying, she names the child Ichabod. And she names the child Ichabod, and in verse number 21, the Bible says this. It says, the glory is departed from Israel. What you need to understand is that the word glory is a reference to the presence of God. 
How amazing. Phineas' wife, as she's dying after childbirth, she's in much pain, much travail. She says, name, I'm calling my child Ichabod because the glory, the presence of God is departed. Throw verse 21 back up there. Watch, it says it's departed from Israel, right? And then she says these words, because the ark of God was taken. She doesn't say, I named him Ichabod. The glory has gone from Israel because my husband is dead. My father-in-law is dead. My brother-in-law is dead. She says, the glory is departed because the ark of God was taken. In 1 Samuel chapter 5, I told you the Philistines, they take the ark and they think it's a good thing. They're like, yeah, we won the battle. We're bringing it into our land. And so they bring it into uh, Ashdod and they put it in the house of Dagon. Anybody remember this story? They put it in the house of Dagon and they set the Ark of the Covenant right next to Dagon. The next morning, Dagon is, is over on his face. And they're like, hmm, hmm, right? They go and pick up Dagon. They set Dagon up. And the very next morning, guess what? You guessed it. Dagon, their, their little idol, is face first. But the second day, not only is he face first, the head is cut off and the palms of his hands are cut off. All you got is the stub of Dagon. So guess what? The Philistines say, uh-oh, we have done something we shouldn't have done with the presence of the God of Israel. Let's get this thing out of here. So they're on the move. They take the, they take the Ark of the Covenant. They go over to Goliath's hometown in Gath. They take it over to Gath. And you can read the rest of the story for yourself. Uh, what follows is destruction. Then they decide, well, let's take it over to Ekron. We'll get it over to Ekron. Let Ekron deal with it. Uh, destruction and death follow. People are dying left and right because of what the Philistines are doing with the Ark of the Covenant. And so then you get to actual chapter 6 of 1 Samuel. And the Philistines, now get this, people who do not worship the God of Israel, watch this. They decide that they need to give an offering to the God of Israel. They say, we're going to give him a trespass offering. We have offended the God of Israel. Yes, you have. God of very God. So they offer this trespass offering, and they say, let's get it out of here. And so they put it on a cart, and they get it out of their territory, and they take it on down in chapter 7. They take it to Kerjath-Jerim. They take it over to Kerjath-Jerim, and they bring it to the house of Abinadab, and then what they do is they set this thing up, and the rest of the story is that Eliezer, Abinadab's son, becomes the keeper of the Ark of the Covenant. And as you read, you'll find that the Ark stays here for 20 years. Now we get caught up. David has just become king of Israel. Now, watch what he does in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. The very, watch, first thing that David wants to do. Let's read. In verse number one, watch this. It says here, and I'm reading in a different passage. Hold your, hold your place at 2 Samuel 6. In 1 Chronicles 13, here's what David says. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. Verse 2, and David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also the priests and Levites, 
which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves together unto us. Verse 3, here's key. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us. This is the first thing that David wants to do. For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. Now stop here for just a second. David says, we didn't go, we should have already gotten this thing. But we didn't go after, we didn't go after the Ark of the Covenant. We weren't concerned with the place of God's presence when Saul was king. Why didn't Saul do this? Because it wasn't important to him. But you see, David was known as a man after God's own heart. It was important to him that they would go immediately and get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back to where it rightfully belonged. Guys, ladies, gentlemen, young people, as we begin 2020, don't be like Saul. Be like David. Don't be like Saul. Be like David. It's important that we... Return God to his rightful place in our lives as we begin a new year. And that must be first. Watch what the Bible says in verse number 4. And all the congregation said that they would do so. Watch these words. For the thing was, what's that word? Right. It was right in the eyes of all the people. You see, the people understood that it was right to restore God's presence to where it was supposed to be. And I think we should do the same thing. Now certainly it's important for us to remember when we start talking about God's presence. Mark and I were talking about it the other night just before praise band a little bit. <laughs> remember we started scratching the surface. It's important for us to understand that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is everywhere all the time. In fact, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 6, it tells us for believers that our God is above all, He is through all, and He is in all. If you think about Jesus Christ the righteous, Colossians tells us in Colossians 1 that He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. There is nowhere that God isn't. But you and I, as believers, listen, if you say that you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, He is living inside of you, you have the Holy Spirit guiding and directing your life, then guess what? He is present with you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But here's what I know. And I'm jumping ahead a little bit, and I'll repeat it after a while. Sometimes we have an ability to do just like the children of Israel we reject God's presence in our life. We ignore God's presence in our life. We misuse God's presence in our life. And I dare say sometimes we abuse God's presence in our lives. It was in his article, The Ark of the Covenant and God's Presence with Us, that Daniel Hyde said these words. Watch what he says. He says, here is such a mind-blowing idea about the God of the Bible that we have to pause for a moment. He says, the eternal God, who is not constrained by the existence of time, the infinite God, who is not bound by the constraints of space, the transcendent God, who dwells above and beyond all time and space, and the immense God, who fills all time and space. Watch what he says. He condescended to the weakness of his people and became manifest for their benefit in one locale. Now let's just stop for a second. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God manifests himself through Jesus Christ his son and he has set himself up in the heart of mankind. Those who have called out upon the name of the Lord. He's established his presence inside of each and every one of us. A temple not made with hands. Woo, that's exciting. What a wonderful God we serve. Oh, listen, the fact that the ark was the place of the Lord's presence among his people brought great assurance to them that the ark, why did it bring great assurance? Because the ark served as not only the symbol, but as the place of God's presence. It was a place where people could meet with God. Folks, when I walk out of this place, and you may not be here around me, I can meet with God. As you're on your way home, you can have a little, little staff meeting, just you and God. By the way, I believe God holds staff meetings with great regularity. You know, he held one in Job chapter 1, right? He had that staff meeting and the old devil had to show up too. That, that actually, just the thought that, and Satan came also, reminds me that God's still in charge. When God holds a staff meeting and the devil has to show up, that means he's on, he, he's on God's terms, not his own. Oh yeah, God lets him loose to walk about and seek whom he may uh, uh, devour. We know the scripture says that about what the devil does. But if God's holding a staff meeting, guess what? He has to rear his ugly head at the staff meeting, just like all the other angels. Let's look at our text in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Look at verse 1. It's amazing. Here's what David does. It says, And David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. By the way, does it take 30,000 to go get the Ark of the Covenant? Right? When you think about it, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to describe it for you here in just a second. But the Ark of the Covenant was basically four feet long, two feet deep, and two feet wide. And he gathers 30,000 men together. Watch what it says. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And so he gathers 30,000 men together to go get this ark. It's four by two by two. It's covered with gold. We know it's got two angels, the two cherubims on the side facing one another. And in between there, there was a middle place on top of that was considered the mercy seat. That was where the presence of God was. That was where Moses, right? That's where Moses went to interact with God. And if under it you lift off the top, you know that there were three things in the Ark of the Covenant. You know that there was a, a, a golden pot of manna. You say, what's the manna doing there? That's a reminder of God's provision. God said, hey, remember it was me. One who brought you out of Israel. Remember, I went with you through a pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. My presence was with you there as you went out of Egypt. And remember, it was me when you were crying in the wilderness and you were hungry. It was me that gave you manna from heaven. And so there's a pot of gold manna there in the ark. There's also the Ten Commandments reminding the people of the importance of God's word. And then the third thing that was in there was Aaron's rod, which, by the way, is budding. It's coming to life. There's two rings on each end of the ark. So you got four rings on the corners of the ark. I should have shown you a picture of it. And in between those, there's two staves or two poles that are covered with gold. And those staves are for the Levites 
to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Ark, which represents the presence of God, had not been kept in a place of priority for a long, long time. For 20 years they had left it in Abinadab's house. Eliezer watching over the Ark. And David says, let's go get it. And so I put down in my notes as we begin the new year, let me ask you the question. Let me ask myself, I've asked myself this question all week. Does God in his presence have the place of priority in my life? Does God in his presence have the place of priority in my life? Is he the center of my life or is he somewhere off to the side? Maybe over at Abinadab's house while Eliezer watches him. Folks, if God does not occupy his rightful place in our lives, I can assure you that we will have struggles in 2020. Oh, listen, you say, well, we have struggles. I've got the Lord on the throne of my heart. Yes, absolutely. God has not promised you a rose garden. He has not promised you to be free from sickness uh, uh, and, and other things that come your way, financial problems and and kid problems, and husband problems, and wife problems, and job problems, and house problems, and car problems. He has not promised that to any of us, but he has promised that he will be with us each and every step of the way. Right? And so we have to ask ourselves, do I have a deep satisfaction from God's presence in my life, or am I busy with everything else that is vying for my attention? Maybe you're here this morning, and, and you would just be honest. You would say, you know what, I've, I, I don't even have the presence of God living on the inside. I've never called out upon the name of the Lord for forgiveness and salvation. i got good news for you today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You can have that. Oh, all you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. But let's look at it back at our text, verse number 3. Because David sets out to go get the ark and to bring it back and to put God at the center of the nation of Israel once again. Look at verse number 3. And they set the ark upon a new cart uh oh, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And look at verse number 5. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, and even on harps, and on psalteries, and on timbrels, uh, and on cornets, and on cymbals. Man, they got a regular marching band going on here. In fact, in my Bible, I put over the top of this passage, Parade. He's got a grand old parade lined up. It's the Macy's Day Parade, getting the Ark of the Covenant. Look at verse 6. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. Why are oxen carrying the Ark? Why is the Ark on a cart? Watch. He puts his hand forth, and then watch what verse 7 says. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. And notice what verse 8 says. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. In verse number 8, the Bible says David was displeased. Now, some of you may have a different version of Scripture, but that word displeased, what you need to understand in the Hebrew, that word displeased is the same word that's used in Jonah chapter 4 in verse number 1 and verse number 9, speaking of Jonah's anger. You remember Jonah got angry with God. 
He got angry with God because God showed mercy to the Ninevites at the beginning of chapter 4. And then in verse number 9, he gets mad. He gets angry about the gourd, right? God provides a gourd to keep him covered. And then he gets, he's so angry, the gourd dries up. And then he's angry about that. It's the same exact word. And so where it says that David was displeased, the point is David's angry. He's angry about some things. He's angry because of Uzzah's sin. He's angry because of God's judgment. And he's angry, quite frankly, because his hopes have been dashed. His desire was to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to its rightful place. But what is he to do? Let's keep reading on. You see, God's presence is such a beautiful thing. I believe the lesson that God is trying to remind David of, and guys, just hold on for a second. I think he's trying to remind you and I is that his presence must be honored and his presence must be handled with care. God doesn't take his relationship with you and I lightly and he doesn't desire that we take it lightly either. He wants us to understand the importance of handling his presence in our life with honor with responsibility, with care. The same way we see this picture of them moving the Ark of the Covenant here in the Old Testament. Verse 3 tells us of our text, basically tells us that David obviously had a new cart constructed to move the Ark of the Covenant instead of uh, doing it the way it was supposed to be. By the way, here's the thing. Sometimes we come up with good ideas. Have you ever had a good idea? If you've had a good idea, say amen. Thank you. It's crazy. When I just said that, I see wives looking at husbands. I don't know what that's all about. If you need counseling, give me a call, right? <laughs> Please don't point your husband out to me when I say that. If you need counseling, give me a call. But here's the thing. We've all had good ideas, right? Let me just tell you something. I actually, we referenced this verse in, in our Sunday school class. There's a way which seems right to man, Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. Right? David says, let's construct a cart. Let's get some oxen to carry it. Hey, get all the instruments out. Let's get the marching man. Look at us. Look. Did you notice what I just said? Look at us. The oxen shook, and Uzzah puts his hand out, and God says, boom. That's not how you do it. That's not my plan. That's not my way. God's thoughts and God's ways are far above our thoughts and our ways. Oh, we have to be careful as we enter into 2020. Listen, it's an incredible story that we see here, but God and his presence needs to be first in our lives. And listen, if that's your desire Three, three thoughts, and you say, man, these are really going to be long. No, they're rapid fire, right one after another. Three thoughts are this. Number one, if your desire is to make God first, you got to let him know. You're like, wow, that's real theological. you got to let him know. You say, well, he's already, you said he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. I mean, why do I have to know, let him know? Because he wants to hear from you. He wants to have a relationship it's a two-way street. Just like my relationship with my wife is a two-way street. If I don't communicate with my wife, she gets angry. And if she doesn't communicate with me, I get angry. 
And yet we think that God should not get angry with us for our lack of communication with him. Oh, communicate. Let him know what the desire of your heart is. Remember, it was Jesus that told the Pharisees, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So if you really want God to be first in your life, just let him know. Like people back then, I fear we've neglected, in some case, rejected God's presence. Sometimes I feel like this. I feel like we're uh, Jonah. You know, Jonah was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord, right? He was trying to flee. God said, hey, I, I need to go this way. Jonah said, no, I'm going this way. I'm going to get as far away from you as possible. But folks, the psalmist has reminded all of us in Psalm 139 and verse number 7 and following. He asks and answers the question. says, whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? In verse number 8, if I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. And if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Oh, listen, we have to be serious when it comes to God's presence in our lives. In other cases, we've been guilty of abusing or misusing God's glorious presence in our lives. Folks, I have to remind myself this, and so I remind you too, God is not our get-out-of-jail-free card, and he is not a good luck charm. I've heard of people doing all kind of things. I've probably tried a few of them myself. But there are times when we offer up, uh, you know, you know what they call at the, when there's 30 seconds left and you need to score a touchdown? They call that a hail what? I think sometimes we treat God's presence like that. Well, God, the good luck charm didn't work. And God, I need you to get me out of this situation. I got myself into the situation. I made the choice to get into it. But God, I need you to do what you do and get me out. Because, I mean, after all, I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Why don't you take care of me, God? And God says, what are you talking about? You're the one that got yourself into that. And I don't think God really wastes much time saying what I'm saying. I'm being facetious. God's probably like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? You're asking me to get you out of this situation. And he's probably going to say this too. Again? Because typically we probably have been there before. God's presence is not a good luck charm. He is our creator. He is our sustainer in life. It was in his book, The Pursuit of God, that A.W. Tozer said this. He said, every soul belongs to God and exists by his pleasure. God being who and what he is, and we being who and what we are, the only thinkable relation between us is one of full lordship on his part and complete submission on ours. In other words, what A.W. Tozer was saying is that God must be first in our lives, period. Before we do anything else, I put this in my notes, before we do anything else, he must become the sole desire of our hearts. You want to be blessed in 2020? Make God the sole desire of your heart. In Psalm 37, 4, I was sharing this verse with some folks last week. Psalm 37, 4, the Bible says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of your heart. What is the desire of your heart? Do you want to make him first? Guess what? I've heard a lot of people say, I've counseled with a lot of people, and they say, man, 
this wasn't how I planned things. This is what I wanted. This is what I wanted. This is what I wanted. And I can answer that question with one simple statement. Is the Lord the desire of your heart? Because if he is, he says he'll give you the desire of your heart. Right? See, what happens is we get so focused on different desires that Lord becomes secondary instead of primary. And so we have to put him back on the throne of our hearts. That's number one. Number two, we need to let him know, number one. Number two, we need to pray and ask God to work. The psalmist also said in Psalm 139 and verse 23 and 24, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Unlike what David did in verse number 8 of our text, when things don't go just as we planned, instead of getting angry with God, we just simply need to stop and ask God to intervene. God, I messed it up again. That's what his amazing grace is all about. Oh, God, I messed it up again. I need you to, need you to give me answers. I need to be on my knees and praying. And the Bible talks about over and over how we should pray. But number three, not only do we need to let him know, number two, need to let him need to pray and ask God to work. But number three, we need to search for direction from God. Watch what takes place in the scripture. Look at verse number nine. Remember, the Ten Commandments in the ark reminded the people that God's word was to be a part of their life. It was supposed to be a huge part of their life. It was supposed to be prominent. In verse number nine, the Bible says, And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? In other words, he's saying, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? Uzzah's dead. The ox have shaked. What, what are we going to do? And so watch what happens. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him unto the city of David, but David carried it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And if you read verse number 11 of that chapter, if you look down, you'll see that the ark stays in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And after three months, word comes to David that God has blessed. And so what I see in that three-month period is that David is waiting for God to give him some direction. And they come to David and they give him this direction. And look at verse number 12. Verse number 12 and following. And it was, king, and it was told to King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him. Watch this. Because, why? Of the ark of God. Because of God's presence. Watch. So David went up and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they, bear, when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now, you say, what's that all mean? Look at verse number 13 again. It's incredible because in verse number 13, the Bible reveals that David now has the right attitude and he has the right plan. You see it right there? It says that when they took six steps, that reminds me that they're carrying the ark now. He's put things in order. He's got the Levites who were supposed to carry the ark in the first place carrying the ark. And it says, now watch this. This is cool. This is cool. One, two, three, four, five, six. Woo! Yeah, that's amazing. Woo! Praise the Lord. 
When was the last time we celebrated and worshiped God for taking us six steps? Maybe just one step of faith. But the Bible says here in verse number 13 that they sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Listen, they were celebrating and sacrificing to God because God was blessing them because they were doing it according to his way and according to his plan. In verse 14 and 15, David is dancing and shouting and the sound of the trumpet, listen, is a sign of his praise to God. How many people like music? How many people, let's be honest, how many people don't like music? Anybody? Say, I just can't stand music. Music in this context was a sign of their praise to God. And also, here's something else. Notice in the Bible it says in verse number 14 that David was girded with a linen ephod. Who else girded themselves with linen ephods? Priests. And guess who else? Samuel the prophet did. And so what's interesting to, to me is that it tells me that David dresses himself up as a servant rather than as a king. He girds himself with the dress of a servant rather than coming in his robes and saying, look at me, I'm carrying God's presence to the city of David. That tells me he humbled himself. Oh, listen, when we have God in our lives and his presence, we must humble ourselves. This is exactly what we see here. The Bible says in Psalm 140, in verse 13, Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. Folks, the upright person's heart is right with God. If you want to be blessed in 2020, we've got to get right with God. We've got to put him back on the throne of our heart, right? We've got to put him where he needs to be. I'm afraid we've gotten so concerned with everything else that is taking place in the world today that we have allowed God to slip over here to the side. And if you're not careful, you'll end up just like the children of Israel where the Ark of the Covenant was over in Abinadab's house for 20 years. And 20 years later, you're like, what? I used, to, I used to walk with the Lord. I used to talk with the Lord. I used to worship the Lord. I used to serve the Lord. I used to, used to, used to, used to, used to, woulda, shoulda, coulda. And meanwhile, God says, you haven't restored me to my rightful place in your heart. Before we do anything this year, we must first restore God to his rightful place in our hearts and in our minds. And I pray that today that you'll decide to do that. Listen, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, put God on the throne of your heart today. Please don't leave this building without Jesus. If you're here and you're saved, you say, listen, I know God. Then put him back where he rightfully deserves to be in your life. Listen, you, like I said, you may have entered 2020 with a lot of hurts, hang-ups, and habits, but you can restore God. You can say, Lord, I need you to, to, to get back on the throne of my heart today. Do you know that the Bible says in Isaiah Chapter 55 and verse number 6 and 7. Here's what the Bible says. It says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. Oh, aren't you thankful for God's mercy? 
He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I like what James, I remember years ago, I used to be, uh, literally, as I was serving as a layperson here, right? And if you serve, listen, some of you that know scripture ought to come up and serve as altar workers. But I remember Mrs. Skinner used to tell me to be prepared with one verse, one passage of scripture. Let me just tell you something. Mrs. Skinner was a lot of things, and you can say a lot of things, but you cannot tell me that that woman did not love to tell people about Jesus. And she said, when you come to the altar, you be ready with one passage. She said, you be ready with James. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and she would say, be ready with verse number 7, but she would say, be ready with verse 8. Because verse 8 says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, right? She would say, be ready with James 4, 8. Because most of the stuff, most of the hurts, most of the habits, most of the hang-ups that people are dealing with, the real answer that they need is to draw nigh to God. That's the problem. We're living in a day and age when people don't want to draw nigh, draw nigh to God. People want to draw nigh to everything else under the sun. But let me read this prayer to you and I close. This was so powerfully moving in my life this week. I want to read it to you. As I was doing the research for this message, I was looking at A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. And at the end of chapter 9, if you've ever read the book, at the end of each chapter, he offers a prayer. And this was his prayer at the end of chapter 9. Let me read it to you. It's incredible. He said, Oh God, thinking about first, here's what he said. Oh God, be thou exalted over my possessions. Nothing of earth's treasures shall seem dear unto me if only thou art glorified in my life. Be thou exalted over my friendships. I am determined that thou shalt be above all, though I must stand deserted and alone in the midst of the earth. Be thou exalted over and above my comforts, though it mean the loss of bodily comforts and the carrying of heavenly crosses. I shall keep my vow made this day before thee. Be thou exalted, he said, over my reputation. Make me ambitious to please thee, even if as a result I must sink into obscurity and my name be forgotten as only a dream. Rise, O Lord, into thy proper place of honor above my ambitions, above my likes, above my dislikes, above my family, above my health, and above even my life itself. Let me decrease, Lord, that thou may increase. Let me sink that thou mayest rise above. Ride forth upon me as thou didst ride into Jerusalem mounted upon a humble little beast, a colt, the foal of an ass. And let me hear the children cry to thee once again, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. That was his prayer then. I pray that that's our prayer now. Over the next few weeks, I pray that you'll be back. I pray that you'll invite more people as we look at first. 
a lot of different things. We've talked about really the companion. Really, we've talked about the companion today that we must first have. And that is the Lord our God. He must be our companion today and every day. Next week, I'm excited already to talk to you about the competition. You see, because there's a competition that wages war against our companion. And so I pray that you'll be back. But would you join me with a word of prayer as we close this morning? Father, we, we love you. We are so thankful and so grateful for your love. God, we would be remiss if we didn't open up the opportunity for people to trust Christ each and every time we gather for worship. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here that has never established that relationship, has never asked you to come into their life, never has, has said, Lord, you can have the, the priority of my heart, that, Lord, that they would do that right now that they would call out quietly, softly unto themselves, not about the words they say, but the desire of their heart, that they would call out and ask you to forgive them of their sin, that they would ask you to come into their life by faith, and that by faith, believing that you have done that, that they would understand that through the power of your love and your truth and your word and through what Jesus did on the cross, through his death, through his burial, through his, through his victorious resurrection, that they have been forgiven and that they too now have life everlasting. God, I pray for those that are here, those that are listening, that are saved, the desire to put you first, to restore you to the rightful place in their life today. God, I pray that you'll give them power. I pray that you'll give them the courage. I pray that you'll give them the wherewithal to rely on you and you alone today this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. Lord, we can do nothing. Your word tells us that without you, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, we need you. We need you every hour. We need you every day. And so, God, I pray for those that are believers here today, that they would desire, that they would make the decision that 2020 will be the best year ever, that they would fall more in love with you, fall more in love with your word, and fall more in love with people in 2020 than they ever have before. God, I'd be so grateful if you would hear our prayer this morning, that you would answer the prayers of your people, God, that you'll do exactly what they desire. God, we'll be careful to give you the praise. Lord, I pray that you'll soften our hearts during this time of invitation. Search us. See if there's any wicked way in us. God, bring us to the foot of the cross where we might find forgiveness of our sins once again. And we'll be careful to praise you for it in Jesus' name. For his sake. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.